come to recognize that most people are living life with hearts that are not completely full. So what happens is we live this thing called life. We do life kind of half-heartedly, and we don't really do it intentionally. It's just it's all we have. So we live life. We're dissatisfied. We're, you know, we're, we're kind of discouraged most of the time. We do what we have to do, and we're really just giving by. And most people don't really learn to thrive at this thing called life. But we believe that Jesus has designed life in such a way to where we can live life with full hearts. We can do what we love. We can love Jesus and do what we love and and live lives that that are very fulfilling. And we believe that this is exactly what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 10, uh, 10 verse 10, where he said, I came that you might have life and life more abundantly. So Jesus didn't just come to give us eternal life, but he came to give us an abundant life, a full life. And you don't have a full life without having a full heart. Come on, somebody. And, um, but tonight, I want to talk about having a resilient heart. We've been talking a lot about getting our heart full and our heart fixed and all that kind of stuff over the last uh, several weeks. If you need to get caught up on that, we have the podcast. Uh, you can do that. But I want to talk tonight about having a resilient heart, you know, because sometimes our heart is just kind of flaky, right? Come on. And, you know, we kind of live in a flaky age. And, uh, and I'm going to preach a little bit tonight, so I hope you'll bear with me. Uh, I, I, you know, I try to be pretty positive and not super negative, but I, I really feel like tonight that there's some things that just need to be dealt with. And uh, what I want to call it tonight is preventative preaching. It's not like I'm seeing anything in our midst, but it's like, come on, let's preach it before it gets here. So you, you don't, you know, become a whiner. And then there has to, so let's get the correction done at the beginning before it ever happens. So let's establish all that. But Hebrews chapter 12, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite passages of scripture, right here, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, it says, therefore, now, every time you see therefore in a scripture, you ought to go, you got you to gotta think in your mind, what's it there for? What he's talking about in the last, last chapter, chapter 11, he's talking about what we call, preachers like to call it the great hall of faith. And what that is, is all the people throughout the Bible who were talked about and all the stories that said they did this, they did that, they succeeded, they failed, but they always had faith. They did everything that they did, it was because of the faith that they had. And so he says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, you got to understand what he's saying. He's like, it's like we're sitting in a stadium and there's this huge crowd around the stadium. And in that, in that stadium, there's people like Moses and people like David and people like Elijah and Elisha and Noah and all the people that we told. There's people like Peter. There's people like uh, all, all the people in the New Testament, people like Philip, people like Paul. All these people are in the, in the stands, and they're watching the people down on the field. Guess who the ones on the field are? That's us. So it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, all these people that have went on before us that have paved the way, let us throw off everything that hinders us. I heard a message one time preached on this, and it said, Moses needs you. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a good word. Because we are, we are the next ones that, that, that books are being written about. This is the generation. Will you be one that, that history is written about? And obviously, we're not going to write a new, new canon, new scripture, um, but we will. But hopefully, books will be written about us. Hopefully, we'll transform history. So it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance. Say perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes. Now, we're talking about not just full arts, but clear eyes. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, or the author and the finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame or despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, when Jesus sat down, it was like, boom, the work was over. Okay, so Jesus finished it. He said it was finished. Then he sat down, right? 
Okay, that in Scripture, that's like, so be it. Boom, I'm done. Now, you ain't sitting down yet. Come on, I mean, you're sitting down physically, but in your life, you're not sitting down yet. Consider him. I love this. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what happens is we go through life and we lose heart, right? We don't have a resilient heart. So what is Paul saying here? He's like, well, don't get caught up in sin, but consider Jesus. Don't screw your life up. Consider Jesus. And notice what he says. The first thing he says about Jesus, he said, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him. Then it said, the grind, right? So he's like, Jesus had the joy, but he also had the grind. And see, the problem with with this age, I won't preach tonight, but there's an issue in the age that we live in right now, okay? There's an issue in, in you know, people say this generation, I don't really believe, like, in, you know, like oh, the, the 20-something, the 30-something, usually it's an, it's an age generation. It's like, it's not just, you know, I mean, we talk about, yeah, the stats may be for this group of people, but really it's an issue that controls the, the whole earth. Are you with me? It's not just, oh, we say that's a generational issue, but you're alive today, so it's affecting you. So, so this is an issue of the age. And uh, Barna, have you ever heard of George Barna? He's this guy that goes out and does statistics. And, you know, um, I think st- statistics are something like 98.7432XB percent correct all the time. Probably not, but, but that was, yeah, thank you for laughing. It really made me feel good. But, um, but what he said, he says the primary goal, the number one goal of, of this generation, of this age, is, is to have their comfort, to be comfortable. The most important thing in this life is to be comfortable. And he went on in the study and talked about that this generation will do anything to avoid suffering. Anything. Just, to, you know, man, if I don't have to do work, if I don't have to do any grind, if everything just be, you know, and then and so what's happened is the church is embracing and say, oh, Jesus, Jesus said it is finished. That's right. Jesus said it is finished. He didn't say you were finished. Come on. When Jesus finished it, you started it. So it's not, you know, Jesus finished, so I don't have to do anything. No, because Jesus has finished it. Now you can do lots of things. And so what we've done is we've kind of slapped this sloppy grace on and, and the spirit of this age has got into the church and we're just got a bunch of people sitting around just talking about how much God loves us and sitting around getting fat spiritually while the world around us is dying and going to hell in a handbasket. We're just totally okay with it because God loves us. And so this age there there's like this pursuit of instant gratification there's no there's no uh there's no joy at the end of the day because they don't know how to go to bed at night i don't know about you but i've put in hard days of work before in my life and when you lay in bed you go yeah i'm actually resting from something i did it's not like i'm going to bed to escape my current reality i'm going to bed because i'm exhausted and you lay there and you feel so fulfilled because you put the grind in for that day and what my, one of my fears tonight is that we will have a generation that will raise up that will go through life that won't know what that feels like that won't know that won't know what it's like to put in a hard day's work and there is such a a prize and a joy. Judah sometimes he'll he'll say things and i'll be like or you won't get the reward for it. I'll say that. You won't get the reward for it. And, you know, used to, he'd be like, what's the reward? And I told him, I said, the reward is you knowing that you did the right thing. So sometimes the reward is just knowing that you did what you did was right. There's a reward in that. And I'm telling you, when you do that, man, it's fulfilling. Now, there's a reward 
that's unseen because you did those things. But there is a fulfillment in doing great things. This is a, an age that we reward mediocrity. I remember the first time I ever heard about, you know, second place or last place getting trophies. I'm like, seriously? Like you're giving the last. So what we're doing is we're teaching the kids not to deal with failure. You know, so we're teaching kids, okay, well, it, you know, you don't really have to win. You don't even have to go to work. In fact, you can just sit at home and just draw money from the government. They'll pay all your bills for you. Right? And so um, what we do is we, intention is awarded as accomplishment. So uh, if you just have a good heart about it, then, then, you know, you've accomplished something that the same God did that worked really hard and put in the hours for, you deserve it. Now understand, I'm not talking about salvation tonight. Come on, are you with me? You can't do anything to, to, you can't do anything to get saved. The only thing you can do to get saved is surrender your life to Jesus. That's the only thing you can do to get salvation. Come on, you don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You never will deserve it. It's all because God is good. I'm going to probably be making these kind of apologetic comments along the way tonight, but just bear with me. Um, one of the things that, that I've noticed in my life, you know, I've, I've been doing this for a little bit, and I've seen people going through struggles and, and things, but usually in our life, as we go through seasons of difficulty, usually a season will pass, okay? Usually a season will pass, and I've used that as encouragement. Man, this too will pass. It's a difficult season. You know, you're discouraged, all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you tonight, most of the struggles in your life, they'll pass. Even some of the sin issues in your life, sometimes you just, you just might just lose interest in that sinful issue. But I'm telling you, there is something about fighting a battle and winning it. There's something about, dang it, I was depressed, but I got before the face of God and I prayed until the depression broke off of me. And some people say that's striving. It is striving. We'll talk about striving in just a little bit. But there is something about earning the reward of going, man. And I remember, it's just like David. I believe when David went and faced Goliath, it wasn't because God just said, boom, supernaturally. It's because David was a shepherd boy out in the fields, and he took out lions, and he took out bears, and he had did the work behind the scene before he was ever put up on the stage, man. He was, he was already that man. So when he got up, God was like, yep, that's him. He's been doing it all along, and now I'm, I'm fixing to show everybody else what he's been doing in private. And so what happens is, is we're, we're being destroyed because we don't have a private life with Jesus. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no uh, stability to our soul. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, resilience to our heart. And so, listen, I'm telling you this tonight with this thing, you know, sin issues, because we've all dealt with sin issues, right? And then they, we were good with it for a while, and then all of a sudden it shows back up in our life. Well, the reason is, is because you just allowed the season to pass. So what happens? Six months later, here it is again. Dang it, now I'm dealing with my anger again. We never dealt with it. If you don't kill your enemies, they're going to come back. They will come back. They'll come back for another day. Maybe you overcame because you just kind of, the season passed. You got distracted from that. Maybe you're dealing with something else. But I'm telling you, those, those demons, if you will, those issues, they will return if you don't cut off the head of your enemies. Um, one of the, the struggles, uh, that, that one of the things that, I, that I've heard over the last, you know, I've been doing, again, I, I've been doing ministry for a minute. So I've, I've listened to the way that people talk now as opposed to like 20 years ago when I came into the kingdom. And um, one of the words that I hear that I really hate, and I'm going to step on my soapbox tonight, and so one of the words that I really hate to hear is the word burnout. How many of you guys heard that? Oh, I'm just so burned out. And when people tell me I'm so burned out, I think, well, what are you doing? 
Because the only people that I've ever known in my life that have been doing enough to get burned out never say that. You know what I'm saying? Like the grinders, the people that are like, oh, you're like, oh, man, they're inspiring. You know, I think of my dad. Like, he's, he would never say I'm burned out. Like, he, he would probably be one of the guys that could say that. But he, I've never heard him say that in my life. I'm telling you, I've been through seasons of my life where I've been discouraged. I've been through seasons of my life where I've been dry, a little bit frustrated and things like that. But I would never, ever say I'm burned out. I mean, it's not just a confession thing because I want to make sure and say all the right things so I can have everything I'm supposed to have. So I'll say, no, no, no. It's not about that. It's just more about I'm not, I'm not going to give in to that defeated mentality that says I'm burned out. Do you realize what you're saying? I'm burned out. You realize how, how ridiculous that sounds? And we hear that we throw this word around, oh, I just got so burned out doing this. And I got so burned out doing this. Oh, man, I get so sick of hearing that word. Really? Really? You're burned out? Listen, let me tell you this tonight. If you're burned out, if you are burned out, it has nothing to do with your employer or your leader or anybody else. It has to do with you. You are the one that decides if you get burned out or not. Because you are the priest of your own heart. Did you know that? Leviticus, let's read this. Oh, we're getting an Old Testament. Come on. You're the priest of your heart. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12 says, the fire on the altar must keep burning. It must never go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat and the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning. I love it when Scripture reemphasizes things. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So listen, there is a flame in your heart, the Holy Spirit. Now, last I checked, the Holy Spirit doesn't burn out. He's eternal. He's the eternal flame. However, that fervency that we experience in our life, it is up to you to fuel that flame. And when that flame is burning, the engine is running, baby. Jack, the engine is running, Jack, when that flame is burning, and the, the thing is, is there's very few things that can stop you. Very few things. Now, again, I'm preventative preaching tonight. I know that none of you are dealing with this or saying this. I've been tired. I've been wore out. I refuse to say I was burned out. I've needed a vacation. I need a time off. But listen, you have got the living flame, the eternal flame of God inside of you. Jesus, the Holy Spirit in you, it cannot burn out. It can rust out because you don't add flame. And that's what, I got that from Jenny Mayo. I heard her once say that one time. Rust out or burn out. I was like, oh, that's a good word. Listen, one does not get burned out by doing too many things. They get burned out from doing the wrong things. So if you get burned out, it's not because you got too much on your plate. It's because you got the wrong things on your plate. It's called priorities. Now, let's talk about rest for just a moment, okay? Because rest is important. Come on. If rest wasn't important, then God wouldn't. If God was going to write ten commandments in the Old Testament and told the people to live by these ten things, and he put rest in there, it made the top ten list, then it's a pretty big deal to God for you to get your rest. 
Now listen, when God created the Sabbath, he didn't create it as a law for you to keep. And Jesus came back and he showed us this. He showed us the purpose of the Ten Commandments. So listen, when, when God created the law of the Ten Commandments, he wasn't just wanting to give you something else to observe. He was creating it for you. And that's what Jesus said. He said, he said, Sabbath was created for the man, not man for the Sabbath. But I've heard people say, you know, I, need, I just need a break. Okay, what do you need a break from? Normally when people say, I want a break, they're saying, I want to stop. Right? Yeah? How is it that we can have a heart so fervently, so passionate for something at one point, and just time, and we get burned out? We need rest. Listen, I'm all about rest. I'm all about you taking a week off. Come on, you know what I'm saying? If you're, if I, you're working for me, I'm all about giving you a week off. It's called a vacation. But you don't live life off. We don't live for rest. We live from rest. Now, if you live for rest, then it's because... Not because you're burned out. It's probably because you're discouraged or you're depressed. Oh, I just can't wait to go to sleep. I sleep all the time. You know, Scripture says that people that sleep all the time will grow poor. <laughs> it's not real deep, I know, but hey, it's the truth. And I, so I've heard that so many times. And listen, I'm not saying... Please understand my heart tonight. I'm not saying that you don't ever need a break. You need a break. You need to take vacations. You need to take days off from time to time. You need to have a couple days a week that you, you aren't doing a whole lot if you're with me tonight. So I'm all about rest. But again, we don't live for it. We live from it. We are created rest. Listen, we weren't created for rest. Rest was created for us. We were created for dominion. Well, you're not going to take dominion. By resting all the time, are you? In fact, you only need rest if you're taking dominion all the time. So what I find most of the time when people say, I just need a break. I need rest. I'm just so tired. just so burned out. I just need 14,000 energy drinks again today. And so what usually those are people that aren't really doing anything. Rest was created for you. You weren't created for rest. Now, there will be struggle. You guys know me. You've heard most of, most of y'all heard me preach enough to know. I love this paradigm called pleasure. I think that God wants us to live with ravished hearts, that God wants us to be joyful and all these type of things. But my fear is that we live for the pleasure versus attaching the pleasure to what we're doing. And really, my greatest fear is not that we love comfort. My, fear, my greatest fear isn't that we love pleasure. My greatest fear is not that we'll get lazy. My greatest fear is that we have lost what love looks like. Let me say that again tonight. My greatest fear is that we have lost what love looks like. See, we're not just raising a generation that loves comfort. We're raising a generation, we're seeing a generation of people that don't know what love is. Because there's no labor, there's no 
diligence. Look up the word right there in, in Hebrews, right there. How many times did it say endure versus saying the word joy? Endure isn't like, it, look it up in the Greek. It doesn't mean like happy endurance with that smile on your face. It means like holding on for dear life. The grind. Grr. Right? But my, my greatest fear is that we've lost sight of what real love is. You know, 1 Corinthians 13, when we read that about, you know, love, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, hopes all things. When we do that, you know, we've been to weddings, we've all heard that. We've, you know, been in church, as preached, we've got it on the plaque on our wall, right? Every lost person we know knows 1 Corinthians 13. And the first thing that it says is love is patient. And I, I like new translations of, of the Bible. I love them. My favorite is the New Living Translation. I love it. It's good. But really, that word patient is so watered down in our society because we think patient is kind of like, you know, the guy that walks into the doctor's office. He's a patient. Right. Or what you do when you go to the doctor's office, you be patient until your name is called. But really, the word patient comes from a word which they use in the, the old translations. It says long-suffering. So here we're raising up a generation that doesn't know what long-suffering is. Well, if love is willingness to suffer long, and there's no suffering long in us, there's no endurance in us, then we're raising up a generation that don't know what love is. Then we're living in an age that, that is totally detached from what true love is. And so what's happening in our society, as we can, we can see it, is they're saying that, that love is really all that you desire in your heart. Whatever you feel like, that's what love is. So now we have morality in our nation governed by desire. Not by endurance. Not by commitment. Not by the grind. Love that is measured by one thing. This is the way I feel inside. Nobody can see it. Nobody can judge me. It's the way I feel inside. That's what love is. Friend, I'm telling you tonight, that's not all that love is. Love entails that. Love produces desire. But love suffers long. Love is willing to go uh, through, the, through the, the, as long as it takes to get through this season as long as it takes to be committed. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love suffers long. It's not just this little great feeling you get. You know, that feeling you got when the person you love said, I love you for the first time. That feeling's awesome. And that might be produced from love, but that's not what love is. You guys are with me, right? I mean, it's like, it's like youth group talk, okay? <laughs> no, it's all about striving. I hear this a lot. I say this a lot. Well, I don't want to be striving. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's just striving. That's just works. Yeah, you know what? The Bible talks a lot about endurance and about striving and about working and about grinding. The Bible talks about that stuff a lot. And the Bible doesn't really criticize those things. It says we're not saved by those things, but it actually really emphasizes these things uh, that we read about, about it. About, about the strive. So what many times what we say, oh, it's just striving. What we would call striving, Jesus would just call obedience. I'm just striving. It's, it's striving. No, I'm just obedient. 
God told me to do this. I don't feel like doing this right now, but I got to lead my heart. I got to do what I know what's right. I know what I got to do what the scripture says. So you can call it striving, call it whatever you want to call it. But many times what we're calling as in a negative light, striving, Jesus is just saying, you're just being obedient. Because didn't he say the road would be narrow? I mean, if it was easy, it was comfortable. Wouldn't everybody take the road? Didn't Jesus say, forsake all to follow me? Didn't Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all of your heart? I mean, you're not going to get there without a little effort. It's not just like, okay, Holy Spirit, click. Oh, just in love with Jesus. Okay, what does that mean? Oh, it just feels so good. and It's just so anointed. Is that what it means? No. Love has a face. We believe this lie that says love is simply an emotional connection. That love is simply an emotional connection. Now listen, it's one thing to, to be loved and understand that nothing you can ever do to earn God's love, all of that. But however, it's a completely different issue to love back. In fact, I believe the only way that you can love God back, and Scripture tells us this, we love because he first loved us. The only way you're going to love back and it be effective is if you get it and you start getting, and as it talks about in Ephesians, that you are growing in your understanding of the vastness and the deepness of God, of his love. The only way you're going to be better at this thing called love, this thing called striving, the thing that love produces, the only way you're going to be better at those things, if you start getting and understanding a little bit more how much God loves you and how deeply he desires you, the only way you're going to do those things effectively or joyfully will be out of a revelation from his love. That's the only way you're going to be good at them. The only way. Mention performance. That's performance. I want to perform well. You were created. Scripture says you were created for good works. It's called works. They pay you to work. Well, the reason why you pay you is because it's not fun, right? I mean, can you imagine? Let's go to the jungle gym, what he calls bounce things, you know, those buildings where you go around and jump. You imagine getting paid to go do that? I mean, who wouldn't want to work there? Right? <laughs> what do you do for a living? I just go around and just jump around in this big room with balls and play with kids and, you know. Eat candy, <laughs> you know. Eat candy and chocolate for our breaks. We just jump around. Dude, if, if that's what people were signing up for, then everybody would be signed up. But we're created for good works. We call it work for a reason. I'm not glorifying this. I know some of you are kind of like checking out on me. Hold on. First John 5.3. I love how this kind of like this message that's going around right now kind of contorts first john they're like oh well he was talking to lost people there and then he's talking to christians here it's just the word first john five three this is the love for god how many i want to love god how many love god how many you want to love god more check this out this is love for god to obey his commands hold on that's not all it says and his commands aren't burdensome now, here's the deal. Here's, here's the balance because we, there is a tension, right? Because I've been talking about like this, girl, you grind it, you do it because you hate it sometimes, right? That's kind of like the only way that I, I used to think that if you hated spirituality and you still did it, it made you more spiritual, right? I mean, it was kind of like the vibe that was going on, like that I, I kind of felt like from kind of the older generation and whatever I got saved. It's kind of like if you hate serving God and you serve God, then you get like double reward for that. 
right? But this is not what Scripture says. This is love for God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not a burdensome. The, the, the word there is his commands are not weighty. So we're not obeying God out of this, I got to do it again because I love God, right? So there's this tension between desire and diligence. It's, it's interesting. If you want to see what, how Jesus thinks, read the book of Revelation, okay? This is who Jesus is now. It's not just who he is later. It's who he is now. It's his glorified state. So it says in, in the, the church of, of Ephesus in Revelation 2, we don't have this on the screen, but in, in Revelation chapter 2, he says this, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, your perseverance, that you have per, uh, persevered under and endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary, yet I hold this against you. So he's like, you're doing good. You're doing all the works. You're doing the grind out. Grr, grr. You know, you're working hard. He said, but I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. So it's possible to do the ground, grind without the love. But true love always produces the grind. Isn't it interesting? To the church of Laodicea, one chapter later, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. It says spit on the screen. The translation is vomit. So it makes God sick for our works to be hot or cold. Yet at another place, he's like, hey, it's good that you got these good works. Yeah, you forsaken your. So, what is it? Does God want diligence or does God want desire? Yes. Does God want diligence or God want desire? Yes. God wants diligence and desire. He wants a love filled heart, a heart that's rocked by Him. This is God, I, I want to do it. I'm in love with you. Several years ago, I had this uh, crazy thing happen. I use this illustration quite a bit. And uh, I was at Starbucks. I like Starbucks. And I was, I was at Starbucks, and uh, I walked in. I went in every Wednesday. I did my studying there. I walk in, and there was this girl that worked there. They knew me and everything. And, and so I walked in, and I saw on the sign that they had this new drink. And it said, uh, it was around Christmas time, I said, salted caramel hot cocoa. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Salted caramel hot cocoa. And I remember reading that, and the girl's like, you know, she's like, think I'm just going to order my coffee. And I'm like. And I just read it to her just like it sounds like salted caramel hot cocoa. How's that? And she's like, oh, yeah. Like she, I was like, oh, man, that sounds so stinking good. I'm like, give me four. And so I'm just thinking this sounds so good. So anyway, I just order my coffee. I'm thinking that's really good. So she comes out. I mean, I was, I was there every week. And so she brings out, you know, the, the, you know, the free one, the short one, and she brings it to my table, right? And I'm like there, you know, got my headphones. I'm all like tuned out and studying and everything. And I drink this drink, and I'm telling you, it was like the glory of God. It was like the dew of Hermon. <sighs> I was just like, oh, I was just drank it. It just it filled me. I was just like, oh. And, you know, about 30 minutes later when I come to, just kidding. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, I have this drink, and it's about time for me to go home. I go home and eat lunch. And so I packed up all my stuff. And before I left, I said, hey, give me a, a venti, one of those, those salted caramel hot cocos. And she said, you like it? I was like, I'm going to take it to my wife. My wife would love that. And so, man, there I did. I got my salted caramel hot cocoa, you know, put it in. They put that little straw thing in there so it don't spill out. And, you know, we lived about five minutes. So I drove and I walked in the door. And I was like, Leslie, I brought you something. Salted caramel 
hot cocoa. And Leslie's eyes lit up. I mean, it sounds amazing, doesn't it? And so maybe you don't think so, but I was like, I, was like, she, I knew her love language, so I knew what she was thinking. So she, her eyes lit up, and so she took this, and she drank it. She's like, oh, it's so good, it's so good. Now, why did I do that? Why did I buy, Leslie, that salted caramel hot cocoa? Is it written in a book somewhere? Is it on a list somewhere that if you experience something good, you better take one home to your wife? <laughs> it probably should be, right? So, <laughs> thanks, Dad. But listen, if I am strictly doing these things because it's in a code somewhere, then have I really demonstrated love? No. But I did it out of the goodness of my heart because I love her. I probably need to do something like that again so I can have an illustration. Listen, I don't serve Jesus because, because, he's, because I'm so disciplined or because I've got it all together. I serve Jesus because I, my heart is ravished by this man who loves me who is in love with me, who, who has affection for me, who shows me things. I am in love with a man who loved me first. And it's like once you get a glimpse of the love of Jesus, not only is it like unconditional and all this kind of stuff, it's irresistible. So the only way that you can live without the love of God and, and functioning in that love is if you don't really know how good it is. I want to share this illustration, Genesis chapter 29. I love this story so much. It's, it's really marked my life when I discovered this. Because I've been at points in my life where I lived from the grind. You know what I'm saying? It was like, I did it because I'm committed to Jesus. Right? Genesis chapter 29. Now Laban had two, dollar, two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the other was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. One translation said she has weak eyes. It's like, oh, poor girl. But Rachel, oh, here we go. Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. She was a hottie. So Jacob was in love with Rachel. He told her father, he said, I'll work for you seven years if you give me Rachel, your younger daughter. As my wife agreed, Laban said, I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. So stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. Now you got to understand the dowry system and all this kind of stuff. It's not really as messed up as it sounds. There was actually, this is the way that you, men had to like bring money and pay the husband in order to get the, I'm wanting to reinstitute that now that I have two daughters, um, pay the, pay the dad. So, you know, you know, so uh, worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed like only a few days. A few days. Seven years. Now, I don't know about you, but a few days doesn't sound, I mean, if I was working for seven years for a woman, that'd feel like. 14 years, right? A few days. How was it that it felt like a few days? Because he knew what his prize was. So it didn't matter what the grind was like. It didn't matter how much energy and how much sweat it took every day. It didn't matter that his feet were bleeding at the end of the week. None of that mattered. All that mattered is he was getting Rachel. He was a man who functioned 
in love. Now we know the story, but I'm not going to go into it tonight because of time. But listen, God doesn't want, Christianity is not this. Christianity is not God's labor camp. And it's been thought of that in the past. Christianity is not God's labor camp. But God wants lovers. See, this is the deal. You can have labors, labors that don't work. I mean, that don't love. And not work sometimes. Right? <laughs> but you can't have lovers that don't work. See, I like money. We all like money. Right? Money's it's nice to have money, right? But there's certain things you can't pay me to do. I mean, there's just some things, there's just not enough money in the world to pay me to do them. There's just certain things I wouldn't do for money, right? You too. There's some things, you know, I would not lick feet for money. I just wouldn't do it. No matter what the money, I would not lick feet for money. But I would do anything for Leslie Brown. Anything. Stuff you couldn't, if she wanted me to do it, and she said, baby, would you do it? I would do it. I'd do, I'd do anything for my son. I'd do anything for my daughters. I would do anything because love is the most powerful force in the universe. Listen, love is because it will motivate us where money will not, where possessions will not. So the problem with this generation is we're forgetting what love is. We know what desire is but we don't know what love is. So God wants lovers. And the cool thing is God is a lover. There's a Misty Edwards song that says, God is a lover looking for lovers. I'm like, oh, that's good. She nailed it. God is a lover looking for lovers. He's just wanting people to say, I love you back. Not just people who go, sign me up. I'm on the work chart. I'm here to serve. Because he knows if he has your heart, that will come. That comes with it. It's all about perspective. You know, the parable of the talents, they had all these guys that went out and they worked and they worked and they worked, these two guys, and then you had the one that just didn't work it and he hid it in the ground. And what did he say? He said, he said sir, I knew you to be a wicked man reaping where you haven't sown. Was the man a wicked man? No. Did he reap where he hadn't sown? No, he did so. Perspective. Perspective. So how do we maintain a resilient heart? Real quick, this is a little teaching time. Are you ready? This is when we're done. So how do you maintain a heart that's resilient, a heart that's full of passion, but at the same time, I will do anything for, right? So how do you maintain a resilient heart? Well, number one, you find who you love and sell out to them. It's Jesus, first of all. Come on. We talked about priorities a while ago about burnout. These are your priorities in life. Jesus. So I told, I told a lady at, at a Target the other day. I, was buying, I don't remember what the conversation was. I said, I said, Jesus first and happy wife, happy life. <laughs> She's like, amen. And I was like, oh, come on. We have a church out there at Target. Find who you love and sell it to them. Listen, your priorities, Jesus, your spouse, your kids. Not your kids, then your spouse. Because one day your kids are going to be gone and your spouse is still going to be there. And what you're going to have to show forth. Jesus then your spouse, then your kids, then the kingdom. The kingdom, I say, because Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom. Not your kingdom, his kingdom. Oh, oh. 
Now listen, being a good husband, being a good daddy, that means you'd be committed to your work. Come on. But you get those priorities straight. But you want to get burned out? Get that messed up. Put your kids first. That'll burn you out. <laughs> kids are demanding. Those of us that have, some of y'all watch kids. Demanding. Find what you love, what you love. Find who you love and sell out, out to them. Number two, find what you love and sell out to it. What do you love? Pornography. No, no, you don't love that. Right? We're not talking about sin here. Talk about destiny. What do you love? What would you love to do? Sell out to it, a calling, an area of service. What would you love to do for God? No, no dreams too big. That's the cool thing about Jesus. No dreams too big. In fact, if the dream's small enough that you can do it, it's probably not from Jesus. So no dreams too big. What would you do for Jesus? Resources are not an issue. What would you do for Jesus? Do that. Do it now. It might look a little different than it will in 10 years, but do it now. Number three, do what you love. This is very important with who you love. Do it with Jesus. Do it with your spouse. Do it with the kingdom, the people you love. Do what you love with who you love. And number four, find something else you love and do it often. What are you talking about? I'm talking about like a hobby.